are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up and welcome to another Thursday edition of Locked On NBA. I am Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked On Rockets. He is Matt Moore, senior NBA writer at the Action Network and co-host of Locked On Nuggets. And we are ready to discuss an exciting evening of NBA basketball as the Atlanta Hawks upset the Milwaukee Bucks, continuing their their ways of upsetting teams on the road in game ones of playoff series. Matt, this was this is going to be a fun game to talk about, isn't it? Oh my goodness, this is going to be an excellent game, but we got to remind you, this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, only 2.6 carbs, 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it, and you got to stay tuned for our Ultra Moment uh, segment coming up later in the episode. Now, the Atlanta Hawks upsetting the Milwaukee Bucks by a final score of 116 to 113, and this, I feel like the ending was like, it wasn't like a super, like, ex- I don't want to say it wasn't an exciting ending, but there wasn't like, I don't know. You take it away, Matt. Because I, I, There wasn't, I wasn't a buzzer like, beater. What yeah, you're, what there, you're talking there, about is like there wasn't like a big tense moment where a guy like pulls up and makes a shot. There wasn't like the the value last night with DeAndre Ayton. Which there, I'm there sorry, that value is just the greatest like nickname ever. Is. So good. It is. Shouts to, shouts to Matt Weiner from NBA TV for that one. So... You know, it, it was how most close games honestly come down, which is missed shots and free throws. Like, that's how most of these games uh, that are tense down the stretch do tend to come down. Clint Capella getting the offensive rebound um, to, for the go-ahead score. I, I do think it should be noted. Um, the key on this one in terms of the late-game execution, I think, was just largely Chris Middleton could not hit the broadside of a barn. Could not hit water if he fell out of a boat tonight. I mean, 6 of 23 for mid. Six of 23 for oh, Chris Middleton. Oh, oh, oh of the, nine from behind the arc. Didn't hit a single oh three-pointer. Oh, nine from behind the arc. And a minus 13 on the night. Like, I, I don't mean to be reductionist. That literally is your ball game. If Chris Middleton shoots anything close to an average percentage on the night, the Bucks win this game fairly comfortably because the Hawks didn't actually shoot all that well. It was just Trey Young with one of the best performances in NBA conference finals history. He joins LeBron as the only other person 22 or younger to score 48 in a conference finals game. Absolutely absurd stuff from Trey Young. Why does it feel like this happens so often with, with, with Chris Middleton? He's such an elite shooter and yet he'll have these phantom games where he just, the shooting just disappears on a given night. And it kind of looked like he was heating up there at that one moment. I believe it was fourth quarter. He had the like back-to-back buckets, the, the mid, the middies. And it looked like, okay, maybe Middleton is starting to wake up and it just, it didn't coalesce. And you're, you're absolutely right. And I will say on the caveat of, you know, even though Middleton had himself a down game, they did have two incredible games out of Giannis and Drew Holiday. Uh, both guys going 14 of 25, uh, combining for 67 points on the evening. Uh, Drew Holiday having, you know, an absolute stellar performance. Probably it's it's got a, it's his best game of the playoffs so far. And 19 assists between those two guys. 10 for for Drew. Drew is dominant. You're absolutely right that they got those great games out of him. I think the problem I have is. The Hawks defense really didn't do anything to make things difficult on those guys. Giannis was able to get to his looks very easily throughout this game on lobs. They used pick and roll adjustment very well with him. That was one of the few adjustments the Bucs made that was pretty good. Um, Drew, you know, look, the Hawks don't have a really great, like they play a lot of drop defense too. And 
they let Drew Holiday shoot. Like he got to all of his spots. He had open looks all night. So yes, I think Holiday shot above expectation and had a great game. You should expect that from Drew Holiday. He's a great player. What you should not expect is for Chris Middleton to shoot six of twenty-three from the field. Maybe, maybe you look at it and you go, okay, all right, ten of twenty-three. Not a great night. Nine of twenty-three. Okay, any of those would have wanted to be in the difference, but. Holiday gave them a really great night, but ultimately it just it, nothing. I'll say this too, as great as Holiday was and as great as Giannis was, Trey's buckets felt so impactful. Like there are a difference in shots that are made. You can put up a quiet 30 in this league. And I don't think Giannis or, or Drew had quiet 30s. I think they had really great games, but Trey's performance was so loud. It was stereo max volume absolute crystal quality sound booming throughout the arena. Every bucket felt major as well as if you're going to let him score, you definitely, definitely can't let him rack up 11 assists. They gave up everything tonight. And that was what ultimately did them in. And Trey young, you know, watching him operate and, and the way that he is able to, he's just, he's, is he, is he, he's unguardable. I mean, I'm sorry. Like when you can combine that, the lethality that he has you know, as a shooter with his poise, with the ball in his hands and the, the playmaking, the, the court vision to be able to create for his teammates. Once the defense really does start to commit or overcommit to him on these drives, you know, his ability to keep the dribble alive and really he's so patient in reading and then reacting accordingly to what the defense is giving him. And some of these passes that he had, right? Like I think the, probably the, the most impressive one of the evening, the the loudest pass of the evening has to be the off the backboard lob to John Collins as he, you know, split the defense, yeah. gets gets up there, and then he sees Collins rolling hard as hell to the rim and just throws it beautifully off the backboard. And you could tell as you were looking at the replay, right? And Reggie, you know, Reggie Miller's freaking out about it the whole time, saying that that was a pass, not a shot. That wasn't, you know, him putting too much mustard on a layup. That was fully intended for John Collins the entire way. And again, with Trey Young, this is his coming out party. This entire playoffs, he's been putting the NBA on notice. And I think Reggie kind of oversold it during the broadcast, but I think, can we safely say Trey Young is a superstar now? Like, Oh, yeah. I, I don't think there's a question. I mean, look, he led his team to a first-round victory over the Knicks in pretty dominant fashion and then beat the Sixers. Like, yeah, I think I think Trey Young's absolutely a superstar. He's proven that he's ready for these playoff moments. That's a big lot. You know, a lot of guys can put up numbers in the regular season. It's are you made for these playoffs. Trey's made for it. Like, he thrives in these situations. You know, second segment, we can talk a little bit more about the X's and O's and how this game played out because there were some interesting things going on in terms of the Bucks' coverage on him and how it adjusted and the differences and, and how it went along. And there are going to be things that are going to be relevant throughout this series. But, you know, overall, I, I think that the big thing that has to be said is Trey doesn't just shoot. Like, that. this is a very big difference. If he just shot, you could figure him out and you could honestly outlast him. He started to really – he struggled in that fourth quarter – against the switch for a long part of it was settling for long jumpers and couldn't get one to fall. That's where a lot of shooters in this league, a lot of undersized shooter superstars can struggle. Trey can also punish you with the pass. He is a fantastic top tier elite passer. And he has been since college. And that difference, the whip passes to Capella, finding John Collins, like the kind of passes that he creates, he will make the open read. He will get teammates involved and that makes a big difference because he's not hurting you one way. He's hurting you multiple ways and getting everybody involved too. And you never know where the next hit's coming from. It makes him extremely difficult to guard. 
Which brings us, we're gonna we're gonna dive into our Michelob Ultra moment from this game, and I've got I've got a moment in mind. I've got a couple moments in mind, and I figure you know what we should do here, Matt, is we should both tee up a moment, and and we can go head to head and see which moment we think we should win. How does that sound? Let's do it. All right, for me, I'm gonna go a little fun with this one, and and we we did mention it earlier. My 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 honorary mention moment is the Clint Capella, you know, go ahead bucket, the putback. Um, that was a key moment in this game. But to me, the flavor we've been talking about, Trey Young hyping him up, the shoulder shimmy has to be the moment for me. I mean, you know, completely wide open, has all the time in the world, has enough time to read, you know, War and Peace sitting there on the three point line, does the shoulder shimmy, and then sinks the bucket. Because think about how many times you see a player in that position to have you know a, a beautiful shot left wide open and then to add that little flavor on it that brought me an immense amount of happiness I was over the moon when he sunk that shot I was gonna say that one but I will go with I'll actually go with that lob I mean just to hit an off the backboard lob like there wasn't enough celebration after it but that play was so spectacular. Like lots of guys can hit an open three, but to hit that lob off the backboard to Collins, like such a showman type move. Like this is the biggest thing with Trey is he's not just amazing. He also, he puts on a show for everyone and that can't be over oversold. I don't think as something the league desperately needs. Trey Young definitely leads to some enjoyable playoff moments. And at the end of the day, enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. You know, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And you can enjoy these games a little bit more with Michelob Ultra, only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. So we're going to go with, we're going to go with a joint moment from this. We're going to go with two moments because, hey, Trey Young was part of a lot of really great moments in this game. And honestly, we're just going to have to go with both of these moments for your Michelob Ultra I guess, moments of the week in this one. So coming up, we're going to continue talking about this game, get into some of the nuances uh, and how this series is going to potentially look moving forward. And continue on here at Locked On NBA Thursday, breaking down the Atlanta Hawks 116-113 win, uh, the upset win against the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, Matt, this I want to give you a chance because I feel like you're a better X's and O's guy than I am. And so when it comes to Trey Young, I think there's a lot of people who are looking at it and like, well, what, you know, what do you do to stop it? And we already kind of illustrated the fact that he's he doesn't just hurt you with the shooting, but he hurts you with the passing. So what adjustments can we reasonably expect out of Milwaukee to be able to, you know, better neutralize Trey Young moving forward because I think the biggest issue right is when you look at Brooke Lopez out there running drop coverage that's where Trey Young was feasting with that mid-range with the floater that he is so adept at hitting so Trey hit free throws at the end of the game right to put them up which add on to his his point total obviously my point in asking in noting that is this is that he had 25 in the first half and he ends up with 48 so he had 23 and that was after free throws you can actually tack him on to about probably 19 points second half, six point differential, which is actually kind of significant. The reason I bring this up first half, the Bucks' plan was to play drop coverage because they have managed to keep Brooke Lopez on the floor in two series where you would have thought they would have been played off. And Brooke gives them a, a lot of advantages. He can play big, he can power inside. He helps the rebounding, which they sorely miss late in that game. They had the Hawks wanted getting offensive rebounds, et cetera. Playing the drop coverage versus Trey meant that he was getting the floaters constantly just over and over and over and over again. And that's how he scored 25 points in that first half. However, if you remember, 
the Hawks won the first half. The Hawks led by five at the half. Not enough, but they led at the half. They go off for 34 points in the third quarter and 28 in the second. They outscore the Bucs in the second half, and they outscore their first half performance as well. My trick here is in the second half, the Bucs started switching. They broke. This is such a key thing. You play that drop coverage. You're trying to, it helps you contain the three point shooters because you don't have to bring the help as much. You're basically just trying to, Brooke Lopez is playing the lob, trying to take that away, which he did. Clint Capella didn't have many lobs in the first half. But what you give up is exactly that. You give up that mid range floater. That's what you give up. Now, Mike Budenholzer, uh, apparently drunk on power from being the Nets, decided to deploy (laughs) Jeff Teague which was quite the strategy and Teague immediately got lit up for eight points. So if you take that out, Trey's down to 17. This is the bigger thing. They had the Hawks corralled when Trey was having to make those, those buckets, but he does it so consistently. This is where the mental part of the game meets the math part of the game is you have to get guys to buy in and coaches have to do this too. You have to resist the temptation when a guy's torching you and be like, it's fine. That's tough. You want to get stops. You want to feel dominant. You won't, you don't want to just give a guy the same look over and over and over again. And at halftime, the TNT crew was talking about this, about how they needed to play Giannis at five, which they did, and play drop coverage versus him. They instead switched, and Trey started taking long contested jumpers, and he missed a lot of them, and that's how the Bucks wound up getting a lead late in the fourth quarter. It worked for a while. The problem was eventually Trey started making passes, and then everybody else gets involved. This is the tension point is do you give up 48 points to Trey Young but keep every and limit his assists? They didn't do either tonight. They broke under that pressure. When Trey hit all those floaters first half, Seth Parton from the athletic noted this, Trey was one of seven in the second half on floaters. So it goes away. Like it's hard to hit him over and over and over again. But this is the tension point that you've got to maintain. The better thing for the Bucs is to play their coverage, make Trey score 70, and keep everybody else contained. You had that opportunity tonight. Like, again, they win this game if Chris Middleton does not shoot absolutely horribly. The Bucks shot 8 of 36 from 3. The Hawks shot 8 of 32. Neither team shot well from the arc tonight. However, if you look at it, Bogdanovich played only 27 minutes. Does not look right. Does not look right at all. Herter was 1 of 6. Okay, that's he's probably going to improve on those. John Collins was 1 of 5. Okay, he's probably going to hit a few more of those. But you've also got the fact of, you know, the Bucks got 0 of 9 from one of their best shooters in Chris Middleton. And even Drew Holiday was 5 of 12, which that's 42%. That's fine. You could probably hit a few more. Pat Connaughton, 0 of 4, including an air ball. Both teams can look back and go, we missed shots. But the big key for the Bucks is that they had a strategy that worked and they couldn't maintain discipline. And that was what really opened up the game. When everybody else got going for the Hawks late in that game, that's how they pulled off the comeback when they were down upwards of five going on seven late in the fourth. You bring up a great point on Bogdanovich that I definitely wanted to hit on is the fact that he's out there, you know, running around on one leg, essentially, you know, does the, there's no burst there, no lift. The lateral movement is questionable at best. And you know, just illustrated by the fact that they can't have him out there closing the game uh, for defensive purposes because he's a liability. And then they can't run 
Lou Williams for extended stretches next to Trey Young, at least against this Milwaukee Bucks team. They got away with doing it in stretches against the Philadelphia 76ers, and I still think they probably could have gotten away with doing it a little bit more tonight, although Lou Williams just one of five shooting it, you know, mm-hmm. kind of a, a rough all-around night for him, minus 12 off the bench in just his 12 minutes. But, I mean, the fact that they have to trot out Solomon Hill out there as far as, like, they're in their closing lineup for defensive purposes, I mean, the fact that the Hawks are doing this with Bogdanovich on one leg and minus DeAndre Hunter, like, this is... The Hawks are definitely meant to be here. Like, I want people to understand this isn't, like, a fluke. Like, the Hawks didn't get lucky in the first round and then lucky against, you know, again against the 76ers. Trey Young is poised and built for the playoffs. This Hawks team is insanely talented. And my biggest question is just kind of tonight, right? We saw Trey Young lighting it up in the first half, and thankfully there was enough individual contributions across the board. John Collins stepping up a little bit. Clint Capella with the timely, you know, put back. Uh, Herter, you know, even though he's 5 of 12, 1 of 6 from behind the arc, he had, you know, chipped in 13 points. Uh, Gallo off the bench with 9. Everybody else chipped in a little bit, but who is that consistent second guy for Trey Young? Right. If Bogdanovich is going to look as rough as he does, and honestly, I'm not even sure, you know, what what you're going to be able to consistently get out of him moving forward. Who is the guy who's going to routinely show up as the second option for the Hawks moving forward in this series? Is it is it Collins? I think it's tough to figure out a matchup because Collins is going to wind up with Giannis on him quite a bit, and if not, it's going to be Tucker. Uh, I honestly might say Herter. He's a guy that I kind of circled going into the series as like he's a guy to look out for. But honestly, look, a lot of it's going to be the word heliocentric, it's going to be a lot of just Trey Young creating things and forcing the help and creating all this stuff. He's going to have to attack the rim more. I think they're going to pressure him more on the perimeter and try and get him going to the rim and then bring the help over, which then opens up for Capella. Like that may also be the answer. A lot of this is there. It is not dissimilar from Houston. It doesn't feel the same, but like, think of it. Trey Young draws a lot of fouls, right? He's got a great floater game. Harden worked very hard to develop a floater game. He's no, it's 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 very reminiscent of Houston. Yeah. I'm getting I'm, I'm getting flashbacks flashbacks watching this you know Atlanta Hawks team seeing how Trey Young operates in the pick and roll. Uh, you know, especially utilizing Capella and Collins as role men. You know, I, I'm. It's I've seen this offense before, and it's it's beautiful to watch, especially when you have an orchestrator like Trey Young running it because he's so lethal at everything he does on the court. And one thing I'd say is Trey and John Collins have had kind of a contentious relationship throughout their time together. And I think that if Collins were to leave, that would be, I think a lot, a large part of it. And even, even still, like, I, I don't think, I don't think that, that young gets it to Collins as much as he should. I think that he should trust Collins more. Like there was a, that late three pointer that Collins hit, like Collins battled tonight. Like he absolutely battled tonight and did a really good job and had a really you know a very sneaky great game despite not shooting well from the outside hit that big three late off of trey young's 11th assist and so you need to see more of that because if you can if you can pressure with the lob to capella and then the short jumper from collins you have a combo that gets the defense really mixed up now i do think that the hawks threw a lot of double drag actions two screens at the bucks which the bucks can go into film room and go all right here's what we're going to do guys, but they are going to have to be a lot better about game plan discipline because the Hawks young is so good about punishing you. A lot of point guard playing the NBA is just making the read and young is superb at being able to make the right read. It's one of the, the weird things is he takes all these really wild, deep, deep, deep Dame logo Curry range shot threes, 
but he's also got an exceptional ability to read the floor and find a quality shot. So um, he he's going to have counters. There's things the Bucks I think can do better going forward, but I do think that Collins and Capella with a little bit of herder can make up for even Bogdanovich being limited. Just to your point of Collins battling, and, and also to, to Clint Capella's credit, we've mentioned a couple times now that key offensive rebound that Capella had, but those two guys combining for nine offensive boards in this one, they were absolutely you know thrashing the offensive glass, trying to secure extra possessions for the Hawks, and then finishing the game, Capella almost you know with a with a 20-rebound event, uh, finished with 19 boards, Collins with 15 boards to go along with his 23 points in this one. So definitely a lot of hard work being put in by those two guys. Um, but overall, a really gutsy win for the Hawks. I mean, they deserve this one. And this now puts all the onus, all the pressure on Milwaukee because, hey, look, if Atlanta walks in there and comes up a little bit short in game two, it's not even the end of the world because guess what? Now they have home court advantage. And that's such a, I just, I love the playoffs for that, right? Like Atlanta held on. There was a moment where I, the, the Bucks were kind of wrestling the momentum back to kind of like in the third quarter, beginning of the fourth. And I was really worried that the, the Bucks were legitimately going to like come out on top because, I mean, I, I'm pulling for Atlanta, right? They're like a cool, like underdog story. And they're this oh, young, exciting now, team. Jackson. Hey, come on now. Come, come on. What you're come rooting, on what? you're rooting for Atlanta because of the, of the Giannis Adenkampo Harden beat from years ago and Clint Capella being on the, on the Hawks. You could admit it. Oh dude, I couldn't, what, uh, the Harden beef doesn't play into it at all. I love me some Clint Capella, but you've got to realize PJ Tucker's also over on the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, the, true, the, true the, 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 the Giannis beef means nothing to me. Okay. James Harden is a Brooklyn lot. net now. I'm, I'm all past that. <laughs> There's a lot of Rockets fans that are that are still rooting against Giannis is why I bring that up. And I'm always constantly confused by it. I, I don't actively root against Giannis. I still jokingly like to call him Giannis attempt to free throw from time to time because I think <laughs> it's I think it's funny. Uh, but I, I spend my better days now actively rooting against the Brooklyn Nets more than anything. So that's that's go. my new mantra. But we're so going to I got I got one for you here. Yeah. Uh, what's up? What's up in NBA conference finals when the road team wins game one? They win the series. They are 28 and 11 all time in winning the series. So the Bucks are up against it. Not not a great not a great start for the Milwaukee Bucks being with the 28 and 11 is the history there. It just more I mean just add add more fuel to the to the Budenholzer fire at this point mm-hmm. like I just yep. you know no pun fully intended I guess like I don't know <laughs> um but it'll definitely be a very exciting series moving forward but we've got another series that we want to talk about a little bit uh kind of previewing uh touching on some topics from uh going into I should say uh Suns Clippers game three and we're going to get there in just a quick moment after a message from our friends over at rockauto.com because look, with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's basically impossible for you, for your local chain brick-and-mortar auto parts store to stock all the parts that your car needs. And not only that, right, when you go to one of those local, you know, places, those in-person shops, the prices are going to be, they're, they're going to be worse than what Rock Auto offers. Why would you want to spend up to 30, 50, or 100% more for the exact same parts? Rock Auto's got you covered for everything. I mean, they've got engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, even motor oil, brand new carpet. You name it, they probably have it. You can check out their website. It's super easy to navigate. You order the parts and they deliver them directly to your door. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And be sure, this is the important part, be sure to write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. 
We're also brought to you by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game as teams make their runs in the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device using promo code LOCKEDON, L O C K E D O N. Sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and start making smart bets like, oh, I don't know, Hawks plus eight and a half, which somebody, maybe a host on this show, grab. That's the thing that happened. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. We'll be right back on Locked On NBA. And rolling into our final segment here at Locked On NBA Thursday, he is Matt Moore. I am Jackson Gatlin. And we're going to take a quick look at Suns Clippers game three because, Matt, uh, looks like the Clippers have the Suns exactly where they want them, down 0-2, huh? I mean, it looks like it, for sure. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you've, got, you've got the Suns getting Chris Paul back for game three. Chris Haynes reported today that he is going to go ahead and go. He was upgraded to probable today. And anytime a guy's probable, he's going to play. Chris Paul is going to play in game three. The Clippers have come back from down 0-2 in each of the previous two series, for sure. But I think the question really is, the Suns are, are discovering the thing that I kind of circled going into the series so much, which is DeAndre Ayton. And he's also, just just, just to also throw it in there, Kawhi is ruled out for Game 3 yeah. as well. So, so he's you know, not coming back yet. Mm-hmm. Potentially, just like I jumped the gun the last time, I won't say he's out for the remainder right. of the season, but things are not looking great there. Right. I mean, I wouldn't be, expect him back until you get into like... Uh, five or six, maybe like if, if they get to game six at home and it's a, an elimination game, you know, I could see Kawhi maybe, maybe trying to make a run at, but even then I, I think you just, you've got to be very, very, very cautious with that injury to make sure it doesn't exacerbate. Um, the Suns have figured out that Deandre Aiden can just own this matchup. Avita Zubash can't do anything. The small ball lineups can't do anything. Uh, once again, Boogie cousins, you know, he plays okay for a little stretch. It's going to get worse tomorrow because, or tonight when you hear this, because uh, Boogie is going to be on the floor at some point with Chris Paul or Devin Booker. They're going to stagger those guys, which means that you're going to have to deal with one of them, and they're both going to involve Cousins and pick and roll over and over and over again. The Clippers need Serge Ibaka, and he's not coming. He's out for the season. That's the biggest differential here. Serge Ibaka ain't walking through that door. Yeah, Serge is not walking through that door, and they do not have the bigs to be able to match up and counter. They can't handle Aiden on cuts. They can't handle Aiden on lobs. They can't handle Aiden in the post. They can't handle him on the, on the Valley Oop. The, the, I'll say this though, the Clippers look, a lot of things have gone wrong for the Clippers in games one and two. And yet those were still winnable games. Chris Paul is probably not going to be 100% like just, totally normal. There's a very good chance. Chris is maybe a little rusty. And if he's not, maybe Cameron Payne plays a little bit worse because he's been playing lights out. Maybe Devin Booker has a little bit of an off game after breaking his nose in the last game on Patrick Beverly's head. I personally think the Clippers are live in this game. I think the Suns are going to win this series, but I do think the Clippers are going to crawl back into the series. They're a very good team. They're going home. Granted the first round was not great for them at home, but in general, they're okay at home. I think that they've got a very good chance of getting back in the series. They are resilient. There are adjustments to make. And I do think that because of the nature of, of 2-0, we just tend to get, we just, we overreact. We go like, ah, oh, 
the Suns just got them. Like they're just so much better. They got it figured out. Well, the Clippers win game three. It's like, oh, hey, what, what about the Clippers? They could have won the first two games. So we got to wait and see how this plays out. I think I like the Clippers though in game three. I will say that I think that in those first two games, there's an element that's missing when Chris Paul isn't out there. And, and it's something that we've spoken about before. Mm-hmm. And it's that calming presence that he provides, right? That, that ability to really rally the troops whenever the opposing team does start to kind of go on one of those runs. And he's what gives like this, this Suns team, they demonstrated it in the bubble not quite a year ago, a year ago, what, what time is an illusion in the bubble. <laughs> they demonstrated it by going eight. No, right. This was a young, exciting, talented Suns team, you know, spearheaded by Monty Williams. And they, they looked incredible. Then they add Chris Paul to that mix. They add Jay Crowder, a couple really, you know, savvy veterans to really kind of shore up the rest of the team. And I think that when you, when you're missing Chris Paul in, in those first two games, I think the closeness of of those two games I think having not having Chris Paul there definitely plays a factor, right? Some of the runs the Clippers goes on, uh, the Clippers would go on, just kind of hanging around and, and you know making the the ordeal a little bit closer than than it otherwise would have been. But I do think you're absolutely right. Chris Paul comes back. There's a good chance he's a little rusty coming out of the gate. Um, but I do want to give give campaign his flowers a little bit because he has been throughout this entire playoff run for the Phoenix Suns, right? He got Chris Paul dealing with the shoulder stuff against the LA Lakers. Campaign steps in and, you know, right, just he has been an integral part of this run for the Phoenix Suns. And I think somebody w- pulled a quote about campaign and I forget what it was from his like rookie season. And I don't know who to attribute the quote to. But it was somebody saying, like, he's going to be out of the league within a year or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But for a guy to, like, come from that and, like, you know, odds kind of stacked against him, nobody's, you know, believing him. I remember when Cam- Campaign was kind of a giant meme, like, on the NBA subreddit and stuff. Like, it became, like, he was, like, referenced as, like, Tank Commander Campaign for, like, a couple yeah. seasons straight. And now he's having, like, a large impact on a team that is, I think you know, finals bound favorites, championship favorites at this point, right? I, I think that's where the odds have the Suns at. Yep. Yep. They are officially the new favorites at BetMGM at plus 110. I'm sure I bet online they'll be the favorites as well. Uh, I think Payne's a good example of this. I just, we, we just tend to write guys off and careers are short, but they also have a lot of different chapters in them. Like Devin Booker was the guy that scored 70 and put up points on a meaningless team and didn't know, like didn't want to be doubled in summer in summer league. And now he is one of the most lethal scorers in the NBA, a dynamite passer and leading a really ferocious team potentially to the NBA finals and do a championship. Um, there, there are all these stories, I think. And it just takes the right opportunity campaign, got the right opportunity you know, had to go through the, the the hard times and got himself into a place where he could contribute and has played really well to your earlier point, as well as Payne's played, he still kind of goes for the kill shot all the time. Chris Paul is going to come in and be like, all right, here's what we're going to do. This, this guy, they're doing this. So we're going to attack them this way and they're not going to be able to stop. And he'll put those little pressure points on it. And that just makes it all the tougher. Um, I mean, obviously look, Clippers got to win this game. It's a must win. But it's going to be, this is a very interesting test, honestly, because the Clippers are outmatched in their front court. Paul George has played great, missed the free throw, still has played great. They don't have another guy that's like dynamite. They got Reggie Jackson playing great, but they got to get stops. They're at home. Can they just win with their offense? Like, this is a, I am fascinated by what's going to go on 
this Clippers game. This is a really fascinating game on multiple levels. Even necessarily have here's what's great about this, Jackson. There's no like big legacy narrative here. Like if the Clippers lose, it's it's not going to be in the first round. It felt like this. It felt like man, if the Clippers lose, like this they could blow this thing up. Like Kawhi could like this is bad and now it's like oh look if they lose they made the conference finals without Kawhi. what are you gonna do like it's fine and if the suns lose they're like we're still up 2-1 but the basketball has been fantastic in both of the first two games of the series it's been some of the best i've seen i really want to see the clippers get back into it just because i want to see the series go long because the basketball is so great I think we're getting some of the you know best basketball that we've seen, some of the best playoff basketball that we've seen. And I know you mentioned you know there's no like legacies at stake here, but I do want to bring up an individual point here that I think is kind of interesting. How much like how bad is it for Rudy Gobert sitting at home, you know, after being you know neutralized by the Clippers and be, you know being just I'm sorry, just useless offensively against them? To now you go into a series where DeAndre Ayton is thriving against this Clippers team. How much of a bad look is that for Rudy Gobert moving forward? And I know there's going to be some serious questions surrounding that Utah Jazz team moving forward because they don't have a serviceable answer in the absence of Rudy Gobert. Like, I, I don't know. There's just some serious questions that I have there. I thought it was interesting that Paul George literally like made mention that like what basically <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. He basically said like, yeah, we're facing like a real big now. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's like, so bad. And like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like, I feel bad, but it's just, it's very apparent that Rudy's inability to punish them. Here's the thing. You can't let the Clippers play small. You can't do it. They like, they have, that's how they want to play. You got to force teams to not play how they want to play. And the Bucks were not able to, to make the Hawks make anybody else make a play. Cause they just, Trey was able to, to do what he wanted. And then they broke in their coverage. And then with the Clippers, you know, they can't play small because Aiden is dominating them. So if the Jazz had been able to get the ball to Rudy Gobert and be like, all right, you want to switch everything? Fine. We're going to force you to switch Donovan Mitchell under, or not Donovan Mitchell. We're going to force you to switch uh, Reggie Jackson on the, onto Rudy Gobert and Rudy's going to post him up and he's going to go to work on him. Can't do it. Nope. Can't, can't do it. Nothing not a thing. Doesn't exist. <laughs> so, but this goes the other way too. If you can, because the Clippers right now can't viably play big either because Zubash doesn't give you enough. So if you can't play small and you can't play big, like this is the thing, you got to have options all over. You really need to have versatility at, at so many levels. And we're seeing if you have any weakness whatsoever, it's going to get exploited. Yeah, it'll look good in the regular season. It'll look like it's worthy of the one seed. But then once you make it to the playoffs and rotations get shorter and coaches get a little bit more clever about their matchups, start pulling out all the stops, you're not going to get a team that's willing to, you know, run small ball against you, you know, 82, 82 nights out of the year uh, in the regular season. But then postseason, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I will say, like, look, in, the, in that Jazz series, a lot of the problem was the perimeter defense, and that's been pointed out ad nauseum by Rudy's defenders. I think the problem is, you know, look, if you can't help at the rim and then recover to your guy on the outside, that's a problem. And if you can't punish them enough to, to where you can't spread them out, like that's, that's the thing is if you can punish them on offense, then they can't go five out and you can, and you, and they have to play big and then you get to stay in the lane and then you get the help on your perimeter defenders who are having trouble containing the guys on the edge. So there's all these chess matches that go into it, but you do have to, if you have a weakness, is going to get exploited in the NBA playoffs. 
One more bit of news to hit on here at the tail end. Uh, the Boston Celtics finalizing an agreement with Emi uh, Udoka, longtime assistant for the San Antonio Spurs, to make him the uh, Boston Celtics franchise new head coach. Of course, stepping in as Brad Stevens stepped down. I, it, the wording on this is weird. Brad Stevens stepped down, but then he stepped up to like president of basketball operation. Like, what do you call that? It's not a step down. But uh, how do you feel about the uh, the Udoka hire? As Brad Stevens ascended to president of Boston basketball. There we go. Brad Stevens ascended. I love it. I thought it was a great hire. Um, Udoka was an assistant coach with the Spurs for a long time. And if you covered those teams, you saw how good a relationship he had with those guys and how much player development work that he did. Um, just tireless, like worked really hard, has a great reputation in the league, has been an assistant for a long time. The whole quote unquote paid his dues thing. Udoka checks that box. Obviously, the diversity higher, I think, is important at this point in time. And the Celtics, the reports have been that the Celtics have made that clear that that was really important for them. So that's a good hire. It's a former player, which that's going to make the players have more trust in him. I think that's a key component here. I just think it's a stellar hire all around. Um, look, these these high profile, not high profile, Udoka's not really high profile. Guys that are kind of vaunted assistants, sometimes they're great and sometimes they're awful. Brian Shaw was a former player who should have been an absolutely phenomenal head coach. I covered his time in Denver and it was an abject disaster. You never know how this is going to go. It's it's just a different environment. Being a head coach is very different. But I will say that I have never heard anything from anyone that has ever indicated that Ime Odoka is not going to be great at this job. There's always been a high level of respect for his knowledge of the game, his work ethic, and his preparation. I expect them to be prepared. I expect them to be good defensively. I think it's a dynamite hire for the Celtics. Apparently, uh, Udoka receiving uh, ESPN reporting that Udoka received recommendations uh, from Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, uh, who played for Udoka on Team USA in the 2019 FIBA World yep. Cup. So there's already, you know, some prior established relationships there. So it'll be really great to see what he makes of that position with the Celtics having a bit of a down year. I'm going to be uh, you know, nice and polite about it, but uh, a disappointing year overall for the Celtics, everything that they've got going on over there. And then quick plug, you'll have to check out Locked on Celtics with our good friend and co a cohort, co, co, co-worker. There we go. That's the word I was colleague. looking for. Uh, colleague. That's the other better word I was looking for. God, it's a good thing I don't talk for a living. Um, <laughs> go check out Locked Locked on Celtics with John Corrales. Uh, but Matt, I don't think I have anything else to chime in with. Do you? How are you feeling about the number two pick right now, Jackson? That's my question for you. Oh, that's so sweet of you to ask. Um, look, I was just happy that they kept the pick. I mean, the Rockets were, you know, basically bent over a barrel with this pick swap that they do that they had owed to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And as soon as the card was being removed from the envelope and you got this small glimpse that Orlando was going to land at five. I pumped my fist live on the Locked On live stream, and I was the most excited I'd been in a minute. Uh, and then just passing, you know, picks four and three and walking away with pick number two, there was a tinge of greediness that I had for a split moment where I thought that they'd get the number one overall. But I'm ecstatic at pick number two, and I'm going to have all of that coverage over at Locked On Rockets. I appreciate that, Matt. Thank you. No problem. I started looking at Mobley tape today. I'm very impressed. Is Mo- would Mobley be your pick at number two? I have to. I need to look more at Green. Um, I haven't done, started doing draft prep yet, but I think based off of what I've the guys that I trust, 
to do this stuff. I think Mobley, uh, to me, I think would probably be my number two. Um, having a switchable guy with his hands, I think really does matter. As much as this is a guards league, I think you can do a lot with what Mobley's going to bring to the table. Right now, the defensive edge that Mobley would provide is kind of... I'm sitting on Mobley Island right now. A lot of Rockets fans are split between Mobley and Green and... Just like you, I need to go over a lot more tape to get more accustomed to each of the prospects. I'm just surprised that Jalen Suggs kind of fell off a little bit. Like, you know, it, right now everybody's got Mobley really high, Jalen Green really high, and Suggs feels like this far and away, like, fourth guy that's just going to kind of cruise down and land with the Raptors and then have a, a storied career as a Toronto Raptor. Don't wor- don't worry. We got a month. He'll have his moment where the workouts are killing it. Like, it- it's always funny how this is going to go. We are, let's see, uh, the lottery was yesterday, which means, as we're recording this, which means I'm checking my watch. Um, all right, there will start to be conversations about Cade not being number one in 10 days, and that will continue for about two weeks, and then it'll go back the other way, and then he'll be locked in as the number one. And then the week of the draft, it'll be maybe the, the Pistons aren't going to take Cade, and then the two days before, they'll clearly take Cade. And then we'll just repeat this with a bunch of different prospects. There's a there's a whole rig- rigorous timing that this stuff always goes through with the NBA draft. And it's going to be all sorts of fun to cover. And of course, we'll have you covered for that here at all the respective Locked On podcasts. But for today's episode, that is going to do it. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin. You can follow Matt on Twitter at HP Basketball. Be sure to check out his work for the Action Network. And then, uh, of course, follow the Locked On NBA account at Locked On NBA Pods. Uh, but for today's episode, that's going to do it. Don't forget to follow the show, Apple's Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on the brand new Odyssey app. Drop some stars, leave a review, and share the show with your friends and family. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked on NBA.